Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of The Amber May Show. So glad you are joining me today because Richard Gay, AIA, an architect of 30 years in the Bay Area, is a member of the American Institute of Architects and he's the founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineer for 9-11 Truth. He's now independent and along with his courageous wife, Gail, they continue to lead the charge towards a real investigation in the destruction of all three World Trade Tower Center skyscrapers. And you can learn more about him at richardgage911.org. So he's going to join me today and we're going to look at another perspective on what could have happened on 9-11. We were all told the airplanes, but... Let's just see what he has to say. It it was very fascinating. I think you're going to like his presentation today. So please like, share, and subscribe. If you believe in what I'm doing, please become an angel investor. And the easiest way to do that is going to theambermayshow.com. Hit the donate button and donate whatever you feel. You can donate $5, $10, $100. You could be a $5 monthly subscriber by going to theambermayshow.locals.com. All of that really does help support the program. And I really do appreciate it. Hey, if you're looking for a wonderful cheesecake, go to belovedcheesecakes.com. When you're there, use my name. I think it's Amber. Could be Amber May. I don't remember. Um, One of those. um, And save some money at checkout. That's belovedcheesecakes.com. Promo code Amber, Amber May at checkout. Well, without any further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Richard Gage. Like I told you, I have Richard Gage joining us today, and we are going to get into the nuts and bolts of what happened on 9-11. So welcome, Richard, to the program. I'm so happy that you're joining us today. Thank you, Amber. Honored to be here with you. You came highly recommended by some of my friends, so I had to get you on the program. And I'm going to be learning along with my audience on your presentation. I've seen a little bit, but I don't really know you as well as... um, I'm sure my friends knew you. So I'm really excited to be learning along with my audience. I don't have a background, just so you know, and my audience knows I know nothing about the world of architecture or engineering. <laughs> so I, I, I'm learning along with the audience and um, I encourage anyone to dive in deeper if they're curious and say, maybe this isn't possible. Dive in deep, do your own research, but uh, at least you're going to have a different perspective than what we've been given. So without further ado, Richard, what do you have for us today? And let me know when you want me to do the slideshows. Oh, light it up, Amber. Let's All right. uh, let's um, look into it because I don't <laughs> okay. want your audience or your audience's friends or family members to be the last to know about the explosive evidence of the three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. And everything we're talking about today, people can find on our website, which is richardgage911.com. Org. There's some great documentaries there that I've made. And uh, let's uh, start with Building 7 because most are, most people don't even know about the third tower that collapsed on 9-11. Mm-hmm. And th- I mean, this is a 47-story skyscraper. 
And uh, yet it, it wasn't hit by a plane and yet it collapsed. And, you know, I'm one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects. We didn't get one bulletin on this, the third worst structural failure in the history of our country. Hmm. Never, uh, never got it. I mean, this is uh, 47 stories tall. Uh, this building, half the height of the Twin Towers, which were the tallest buildings in the world when they mm -hmm. were built, right? Uh, but easily the tallest building in most of our states. It's about a football field in length away from the North Tower. And when it came down, uh, there was some damage to this building, a, a minor amount of damage. Even NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people said, uh, no, that's not the reason uh, it collapsed. Uh, that was an insignificant factor in the cause of this building's destruction. But here you can see the building standing just fine after the towers collapsed on the right. And mm -hmm. then this happens seven hours later. After, as we'll see, witnesses hear explosions. This building, the East Penthouse drops first. Six seconds later, the entire building does this wow for any of you watching or listening on the radio or in the podcast only audio section please go to my website theamermayshow.com and find the rumble channel where you're going to see the videos so this is very uh very important that you see the actual videos of these buildings collapse wow yeah theambermayshow.com don't mm -hmm. don't don't uh, neglect to see this in fact, it looks exactly like what? The old hotels in Las Vegas, right? Um, we've all seen them before. They come down uh, uniformly, symmetrically into it, into their own footprint after witnesses hear explosions. But seven years later, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, again, uh, their co-project leader, Sham Sunder, says this is the reason this building fell what down. What we found was that uncontrolled building fires caused an extraordinary event. The collapse of World Trade Center 7 was primarily due to fire. Okay, well, let's primarily look at due to those fire. <laughs> These are the largest fires that we have photographic or video evidence of in the building. And as you can see, they're scattered, they're few, they're far between, they're relatively small. And uh, not one of these fires have ever brought down a steel frame fire protected skyscraper in history ever before 9-11 or after 9-11. We've had these fully engulfed sky, fully engulfed with fire. These skyscrapers. Wow. Yeah, they are. They're fully engulfed. Um, are these all in New York? No, one's London. No, um, the the one's in United Arab Emirates. One's in uh Jakarta. Where is that? South America? No, uh, that's in Indonesia, I believe. Indonesia? <laughs> Probably both I'm of so terrible. Wrong. I used to be really great at geography. <laughs> but look, let's just okay. compare them side by side. On the left, this building is, I seven. saw this when you were on the news. I saw this video, and this is very compelling. Wow. Well, on the right, we have a series of known controlled demolitions. Is there any similarity? Yes, Is the whole there thing. Enough the similarity to so on one it? side, these are controlled demolitions. On the other side, it's Tower Seven. Is that yep. right? Building that seven on the left. 
Wow. <clears throat> so is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives, especially yeah. since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, especially since fire, the official cause of this building, building's collapse has never in history brought down a steel frame fire protected building. Uh, and shouldn't it have been, in fact, the first hypothesis that NIST considered rather than not being considered at all until 10 years later, when after so much, uh, so much questioning by the public and by engineers, uh, they finally put on their website of, of, of an FAQ, right? I, I need to ask you a question about that really quick. Well, I need to ask yeah. you what we just saw. Okay. So what we just saw was a building close by the Twin Towers, correct? On the left is yeah. the building seven, a uh, hundred yards from the North tower. Yes. Okay, hundred out. And there, I don't see any airplane that crashed into that building. Do you? No, no, there's no airplane that, that hit this building. And yet it came down anyway. And yet it came down. No fire. There's no fires. There's a few small scattered fires. Yeah. Th this what, is, what was their explanation on that? Did they say why that why that yeah, they have a whole theory as to how fire brought this building down and you'll see that in our extended documentary at richardgage911.org uh they say that it expanded uh long span beams which pushed a girder off of its seat on this particular column 79 and then the 13th floor fell on the 12th and the 12th on the 11th and so on for nine floors when the, the vertical cascade uh, from the ground all the way up to the roof uh, happened on the east side and then that traveled laterally in six seconds across the building to bring the building down in what you see from the outside of the global collapse. So uh, none of that could have happened for a whole variety of reasons, which we go into in the documentary. But what does it look like? It looks like a typical controlled demolition. Does it have any of the features of a typical controlled demolition? Oh, yeah. Let's go through them one by one. Is there a sudden onset of destruction and a smooth descent? Take a look. This is Dan Rather. Now, here we're going to show you a videotape of the collapse itself. Describe that. Now we go to videotape the collapse of this building. It's amazing. A, a amazing, incredible, pick your word. For the third time today, it's reminiscent of those pictures we've all seen too much on television before when a building was deliberately destroyed, destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. So there's Dan Rather using his intuition, right? Deliberately destroyed by well-placed dynamite to knock it down. Uh, okay, but yeah. he's never repeated I bet he got that. in trouble for saying that. If this, if this is all true, I bet he got in trouble because it goes against the narrative. Uh, it sure does. And I don't know about the trouble, but he got in all kinds of trouble for other things, too. Um, which is... Uh, <laughs> Another story. But is there a straight down symmetrical collapse into the building's footprint? Pretty yes. straight down, pretty symmetrical. You can only yeah. do that if what? You have the patterned removal of all of the core columns, followed about a second later by the patterned removal of the perimeter columns on each floor, uh, floor by floor, synchronistically timed. Does fire do that? Especially these fires. Uh, not going to happen. So 
uh, it's just intuitive, right? It, it's just, it can't happen. But where do you look at how fast this building comes down? Let's uh, look at uh, David Chandler's, um, he's a physics teacher and he, he, he shows that it comes down as fast as a bowling ball falling out of the sky, meaning what? It meets no resistance. Mm-hmm. Even NIST is finally forced to admit this uh, because of being publicly embarrassed in a press conference. Uh, they put out in their final report that came out in 2008 that it did come down at free fall, but they don't acknowledge the implication of that that there could have been no resistance from any of the 80 columns in the building. Well, what happened to those columns? Uh, Where did they go? Uh, That's a pretty important question. Well, um, I'll tell you what, where, where they ended up, they ended up in a pile about four stories, six stories tall, and they were all cut. uh, And to their, uh, to, to, to broken up ready for loading and shipment. That's one of the things you want to do. It falls like a house of cards. This was a moment resisting steel frame building. And yet now, uh, now, now tell us about why that's important. What What's so important about the steel frame building? Well, the steel uh, in, in this building and many of the high rises are welded together. The columns are vertical. The beams are horizontal. They're welded together. They don't snap apart like Legos. Uh, If there was going to be a collapse, you'd expect something that would look like this. You'd see the building having fallen over, certainly mangled and damaged, but not uh, severed. Uh, One column from uh, a beam, one beam from uh, uh, the adjacent beams, Uh, they're all severed. And that's how you get that pile. Well, what could have severed them? Do we have sounds of explosions heard by witnesses? Let's listen to Daryl, a medical student. Oops. Nope. Let's read him. He says, a sound of a clap of thunder, shockwave ripping through the building, windows busting out, and then the building coming down. So here's witnesses like uh, Kevin McPadden, former Air Force medic. And then it was like another two, three seconds. You heard explosions. Like, boom! It's like a distinct sound. It's not like when in compression, like boom, 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 boom. Like floors that were dropping and collapsing. This was boom! Like you felt a rumble in the ground, like almost like you wanted to grab onto something. That, to me, I knew that was an explosion. And this gentleman, uh, right here. Uh, I was standing like two blocks away, and all of a sudden I just seen a big flash. And then I seen the building coming down and I just seen people just running everywhere. Chaotic, like. Wow. He saw a flash too, in addition. And, and so w- what could be causing that? We got to look for the evidence of what can cause this kind of stuff. Well, FEMA gave it to us on a silver platter in their May two- 2002 Appendix C to their building performance assessment team report before NIST got their hands on this. Uh, investigation, this report, the metallurgical examination was included. Never before observed eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, a solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese. I'm going to get to that thought in just a second, but right now I'm going to take a quick break. You flu shot that body and now you spike vax that body. 
You shouldn't get Spikevax if you've had an allergic reaction to Spikevax or its ingredients. Rare cases of inflammation of the heart muscle and outer lining have been reported. The most common side effects are injection site pain, redness and swelling, tiredness, headache, muscle pain, chills. Actually, we could demonstrate the spike protein in practically all organs. The vaccines have ravaged the population. The spike protein is proven to cause four major domains of disease. Spikevax that body with Spikevax by Moderna. Then you can see also that the nerve cells express the spike protein. And I personally would uh, prefer to use my nerve cells for thinking and not for producing the spike protein. I'm Abe Hamaday, and you're watching The Amber May Show. To celebrate the new year, we're having the biggest sale ever on overstock clearance and brand new products. For example, save 60% on our Goose Down comforters, the best comforters ever. They go perfectly with our MyPillow bed sheets and duvet covers. Save 25% on our brand new kitchen towels. They're made with the same technology as our famous My Towels. Our initial quantities are extremely low, so get them now before they go. Our seasonal flannel sheets are finally in. You save up to 50% and they sell out fast every year, so order now. They're truly the best flannel sheets you'll ever sleep on. Or save up to 80% on all our clearance items. And this is where it gets even better. For a limited time, your entire order ships absolutely free. So go to MyPillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use that promo code to get deep discounts on all MyPillow products. And for a limited time, your order ships absolutely free. You are listening to The Amber May Show, and now we return to the show already in progress. Like you see in this piece of World Trade Center 7 steel, rapid oxidation sulfidation, liquid iron. Wait a minute. What is that? That's molten iron. Molten iron doesn't even begin to happen until 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That's the melting point of iron. The, these fires are not even five or 600 degrees Fahrenheit. A quarter of the temperature is capable of producing molten steel or molten iron in this case. Sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. This is all documented by FEMA. What happened to this documentation? It was thrown out when NIST took over the investigation. They threw out statements like this from the author of the FEMA report, Jonathan Barnett. Steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated wow. in extraordinarily high temperatures. Amber, do you know what temperatures it takes to evaporate steel no i don't i'll give you a hint <laughs> Four thousand fahrenheit <laughs> that is hot wow so where do we wow. where are we getting temperatures office fires can't even get that hot jet fuel can't get that hot i saw melting of girders in the world trade center says abelhazen astani azel from the uc berkeley uh structural engineering department this guy had a science foundation grant, National Science Foundation grant to study the steel and this piece of World Trade Center 7 steel. You can see that it's partially evaporated. 
fires don't do this to steel office fires they don't do this either liquid molten material metal falling out of the material held in the claw crab claw excavators we can tell by the color what its temperature is that's the physics of molten metals 2500 degrees in this yeah, yellow it looks like it's just melting you know kind of it looks to it me already like had you melted. know when they they had the black the the um black smiths and you had when they would put it in the fire and it looked yeah. really red like that that's kind of what it looks like to and me that like, doesn't even melt steel that just right. allows the blacksmith to bend it right mm -hmm. that's only 1200 maybe uh maybe maybe uh 2000 degrees and it's still not even melted mm -hmm. what can melt steel like this well let's find out because it turns out that there's evidence of ignited incendiaries in the world trade center dust incendiaries are used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter thermite is one example of an incendiary evidence of which is found by the u.s geological survey in all of their studies of the world trade center dust in 2005 what do they find billions of previously molten that's exceeding 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit again. Iron, that's iron, elemental iron. This is not steel. We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. We use steel alloys. Billions of them. Spheres, how do they get spherical? Well, let's break this down. 6% of the dust samples, some of them, are composed of previously molten iron microspheres. Uh, scientists, uh, you can estimate by extrapolation up to about four tons altogether of molten iron microspheres, at least previously molten. The EPA says, we don't know what these are, but they're everywhere in the World Trade Center dust and they're unique. In fact, their signature component of the World Trade Center dust. It's not even World Trade Center dust unless it has these previously molten iron microspheres. How do we get those? Well, let's burn some thermite in a controlled experiment. Looks like thousands of sparks, but they're not. They're molten iron microspheres. You see, we can tell with aerosolized liquids under pressure, uh, liquid being aerosolized turns itself into spherical shapes because that's due to the surface tension hmm. of liquid when they are dispersed or aerosolized. Could that be? And, and under explosive conditions, molten iron would do and has done the same thing, which could account for the toasting of the tops of these cars all around the World Trade Center. What else in a gravitational collapse? In other words, the official narrative of NIST could account for these molten iron, excuse me, the, the toasting of the tops of these cars. There's no other accounting for the spheres, for their shape, uh, for their temperature that they had achieved, uh, and for their composition, which is iron, elemental iron. So, that turns out to be evidence of ignited thermite so far. But now we look and ask ourselves, is there any evidence of unignited thermite 
in the World Trade Center dust. What could account for all that evidence of ignited thermite? Well, a small team of scientists led by Neil Harrett, eight of these scientists, uh, he's in Copenhagen. They independently collected seven samples from these locations in downtown uh, Manhattan, including the on-ramp to the uh, Brooklyn Bridge. And they find what? Paint chips is what they thought they were, right? They look like primer paint. They're about a sixteenth of an inch long. But they're dual-layered, red on one side, gray on the other, and they are attracted by a magnet, meaning they have a high iron content. Whoa, they get real curious. What's all the iron doing in all of this paint? Uh, they do uh, analysis of the these chips, this being one of them, and they zoom in or, or analyze the red layer because that iron is is red so that's where that's coming from and they do x-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy and they find what uh iron and aluminum what is iron and aluminum iron part uh, <laughs> iron particles like mm -hmm. like powder and mm -hmm. aluminum together mixed is the ingredients of thermite Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. I didn't, I, I didn't know what I makes thermite. I, I'm, I, I never exploded anything before. So this is all really new <laughs> to me. <laughs> well, yeah, but this is well known. Believe me, throughout I'm sure uh, it is. scientific yeah. circles. It's, it's basic chemistry. When you put uh, uh, iron powder and aluminum powder together and ignite it, for instance, with a very high temperature uh, ignition device, such as a sparkler, um, you have thermite. <laughs> it's pretty fascinating. They, they get real curious. They zoom in 50,000 times with a nuclear microscope and find nano-sized particles of iron oxide, which is essentially rust, and aluminum platelets. Wow. These are a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. Wow. So in the paint, they find ingredients of thermite the incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. I need to ask you this question. Why would the, those be found in the paint? Exactly. Well, that was their question. And why is it found embedded in a matrix of organic material, oxygen, silica, and carbon? That's organic material is what is put in TNT, to expand mm -hmm. it rapidly with, with gases that knock things over. That's how explosives work. Incendiaries work by means of massive heat, 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So here you have uh, a, a, a substance which is an incendiary which has been engineered at the nanoscale to become more effective, uh, uh, more explosive. Really. Is it possible that if if these um, explosives were put into the building, is it possible for that those ingredients to be embedded into the walls upon explosion, and that's why they're there? Well, is that a possibility? Well, no, this would have to have been done in preparation months before 9-11, okay. not only in Building 7, but in the Twin Towers. So uh, these ingredients were found inside of the paint and they painted it on the walls. Is that what you're saying? I haven't said that. 
Okay. What I said was what's found in all the World Trade Center dust is evidence of unignited thermite and in the form of these red-gray chips. That's all we know so far. We can okay. speculate, and we will, about how those got there. That's a very good question. I thought, uh, I thought you, I thought I, I understood it was in the paint. So I'm sorry. That's what I thought I understood. Well, they look like paint chips mm -hmm. and they were, they're dual layered indicating they were applied with a, uh, in a liquid form. So under the guise perhaps of painting a liquid fireproofing onto the steel, mm -hmm. they could have been applied that way. And we'll look at some evidence that could lead us in that direction. But okay. right now, all we know is that it is in all the World Trade Center dust samples independently collected by this team of eight international scientists. This stuff okay. is not made in a cave in Afghanistan. It's, In fact, guess what? When they put it in a heater, these red-gray chips, they ignite at about 758 degrees Fahrenheit. They ignite. Paint doesn't do this because uh, when they ignite, they produce a whole lot more energy. Uh, which is an exothermic reaction. Now, we know this because this has been done before. It's been produced in the peer-reviewed literature by Lawrence Livermore Lab and Los Alamos Lab prior to 9-11. It was called superthermite. So now we know what this stuff is. It's been produced by a defense contracting industries. In fact, only the most advanced... Uh, <laughs> uh, contractors that that they have in fact when these ignite these red gray chips which you see up here on the left mm -hmm. they produce what molten iron microspheres that's what it looks like which the usgs didn't know where they came from well here they are coming from the chip that's being ignited just like the peer-reviewed literature from los alamos lab hmm and when they, then those chips, excuse me, those spheres can be analyzed. What do they have in them? Iron. Iron. And aluminum. Mm -hmm. The ingredients of ignited thermite in this case, usually the aluminum uh, burns to a, 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 an aluminum oxide ash, but there's some left over here. Just like the USGS analyzed their spheres, and R.J. Lee, also an environmental consulting firm that also corroborated the USGS findings, they have the same chemical signature. So we know exactly where those previously molten iron microspheres came from. Wow. They came from these red-gray chips found in all the World Trade Center dust samples uh, collected by the team of scientists. And do so you know if those chips were also in that other building, too? Did they collect any of the These dust? These chips are in all the World Trade Center dust from the Brooklyn Bridge all the way over to the other side of the World Trade Center. So these chips, up, this evidence for both ignited and unignited thermite and nanothermite uh, uh, is applicable to the understanding of what brought down all three okay. World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. They produce it. Uh, the peer-reviewed paper in 2009, we've had this out there for a number of years. Wow. And uh, it's gone to every congressman. The, the red layer of the red-gray chips 
is active, unreacted thermitic material, thermite, wow. incorporating nanotechnology. It's highly energetic, pyrotechnic, possibly explosive material. I need to pause for a second right there because nano keeps being brought up all the time. What was found in the in the shot was nanotechnology found in the mRNA shot. Like over and over again, we keep hearing this nanotechnology being in like all kinds of stuff. So whoever's doing this, or I don't know if it's science, but they're really getting into all this nano, which is really difficult to see because like you said, it's smaller than your your a single strain of hair. I just find that interesting that it keeps being brought up over These particles, and over. It is interesting. These particles are a thousand times smaller than the diameter of a human hair. It's very high-tech stuff that we didn't have 20, uh, say, 30 years ago. It began to be developed about 30 years ago. And so, yeah, there's, um, there's, there's all kinds of magical properties associated with getting the size of particles down to that scale. Mm -hmm. Um in, in, in this case, in the World Trade Center, we have evidence to uh, bring these perpetrators to justice. And 60 exhibits of this evidence has already been submitted to the U.S. attorney for a special grand jury investigation. And we're now working on the film, which can be co-produced um, by uh, all of us co collectively um, into the film 9-11 uh, Crime Scene to Courtroom an unprecedented film series uh, taking hard evidence of 9-11 to crimes to court uh, because uh, we will have about two dozen episodes with experts, high-rise architects, structural engineers, metallurgists, chemists, physicists, wow. controlled demolition experts. We've already shot all the footage. We're in post-edit now. So you're raising support. money for that where people could go and donate to the film? Is that what I understood? Exactly. And, okay. you do and where do they go do that at your website, richardgage911.com? richardgage911.org. Hey, I'm going to get to that thought in just a second, but right now I'm going to take a quick break. Do you love coffee? Well, you're not alone. Over 150 million Americans drink more than 400 million cups of coffee each day. But does your coffee love you as much as you love it? According to the University of Santa Maria in Brazil, the average coffee today contains up to 117 pesticides and over 30 mycotoxins. And long-term pesticide and toxin exposure has been linked to many health issues such as Parkinson's, asthma, depression, anxiety, ADD, ADHD, and cancer, and more. So perhaps the problem is in your cup of coffee. But don't worry, Java Boost Coffee is here to help. With Triple Lab tested organic coffee, coconut cream, ginger, turmeric, and the newly discovered muscadine grape with over 100 antioxidants, and better still, no pesticides, mycotoxins, there's no roasting, brewing, grinding, measuring, or even sweetening. Java Boost Coffee reduces hunger and cravings, stabilizes blood sugar, and promotes mental energy and clarity. Just add a scoop of Java Boost to hot or cold water, and you're ready to enjoy the delicious cup of gourmet, healthy coffee for less than $2. How much are you paying for your unhealthy 117 pesticide and mycotoxin coffee? Look, we all love to drink coffee. Let's drink coffee that loves us back. Let's drink Java Boost coffee. Simply go to cupofhealth.com today. That's cupofhealth.com. Be sure to use the promo code AMBER and save 20%. You can even order a single sample of Java Boost coffee for just $1 and try it before you buy it. Just go to cupofhealth.com and use the promo code AMBER and save 20% today. Hey, this is Boone Cutler, and you're listening to The Amber May Show. 
In the early 1900s, like 1920s, 30s, you with $20, you used to be able to buy an entire men's suit. You could get the handkerchief, the tie, the vest, the jacket, the pants, the belt, everything. And you could also buy that with a piece of gold. Now, in today's standards, you can't buy much with $20, maybe a tie, maybe that's it. You could not even come close to an entire men's suit with a $20 bill. However, if you still had a piece of gold, you could still buy an entire men's suit with that piece of gold. See, silver and gold have intrinsic value and it's had intrinsic value since the beginning of time. It's always been a currency around since the existence of man, gold and silver. So why not protect your investments and protect your earning power by owning some gold and silver? And the easiest way to do that is contacting Jim Tewell at epswealthmanagement.com. That's Edward Paul Sam, wealthmanagement.com, epswealthmanagement.com. Give him a call and let him know you'd like to have some tangible assets in your portfolio. You'd like to have some gold and silver and, and he can help you do that. So if you're ready to protect yourself and protect your investments, then go ahead and give Jim T. Wald a call whom you've seen on our program at epswealthmanagement.com. Let him know Amber May sent you. Thank you for joining us today on the Amber May Show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And if there's someone that came to mind, please share this episode with them. Please follow us on Telegram at the Amber May Show, True Social Amber May, Frank Socially Amber May, or Clout Hub. I can't wait to see you next time on the Amber May Show.